Welcome to the Takeaway Podcast, where we cover the NBA and the NFL every single Wednesday, bringing you the most up-to-date news across both leagues for both sports nerds and newcomers alike. I am your host, Yin Lee, and today we will be covering whether Cooper Rush should start or Dak Prescott should start for Week 6, and then my standing predictions for the Eastern and the Western Conference of the NBA. This is a really, really interesting episode today because we are finally delving a little bit more into the NBA. And uh, that isn't going to be where we're going to be starting, but I just want to say that for any of you NBA fans who have been looking forward to this episode where we're finally going to be talking a little bit more about the NBA, welcome. And I hope you appreciate the next few episodes that will be coming out, uh, obviously with opening uh, with the first day of the NBA season starting next week. But before we start with the NBA talk, we have to talk about the NFL in week five and how that went. The biggest game that I guess I wanted to talk about, although there were a lot of games that were played, was the Los Angeles Rams versus the Dallas Cowboys at SoFi Stadium. Now, the game ended 22-10 to in Dallas's favor. But the reason why I want to talk about this game is I feel like for week six against the Philadelphia Eagles is a very, very important decision for them to make. Now we know that Dak Prescott is now healthy. Are you going to have him come in and start or are you going to be feeding the hot hand in Cooper Rush, you know, with him being 4-0 and Dak Prescott is just coming off of injury? plus you're playing the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, who do you want to be starting for week six? Now, there have been a lot of different opinions that have been going around. Uh, You know, you have uh, more likely a higher ceiling when you have Dak Prescott playing, when you need like a winner in like a shootout kind of game where the defense, both defenses aren't playing particularly well, but the offense really needs to be carried. Cooper Rush, uh, he, he, he's obviously not as talented as Dak Prescott is with his arm. Now, uh, the big question is, should you be having Dak Prescott come in and play off an injury against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are still undefeated at 5-0? and Or should you be uh, feeding the hot hand in Cooper Rush, who is uh, 4-0 undefeated in, uh, as a starting quarterback? The reason why I want to talk about this game specifically is the reason why this narrative, I feel like, is so important to talk about is we can't purely look at record. We can't purely look at the scoreboard and say Cooper Rush is the definitive reason. He is the X factor as to why they're winning games. I feel like that is a bad assumption that you can potentially be making. As you can say, like, oh, they they lost against Tampa. But when they switch quarterbacks, they're undefeated, and therefore Cooper Rush is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I don't think that definitively you can go ahead and say that uh, based off of the five games that we've seen from the Dallas Cowboys. The reason why I want to talk about this game specifically is in this game, we saw Cooper Rush. He threw 16 times, completed 10 of those passes, for 102 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and he had a QBR of 80.7, which is obviously even, it's not a bad rating, but uh, he did obviously have, if you guys watched the game, he had two uh, fumbles as well, as he was uh, sacked three times, but it's not like a uh, huge game, only 100, just over 100 yards, no touchdowns, but the biggest thing is he's not turning the ball over. He's not throwing interceptions. Obviously, he did fumble the ball a few times, but he's, at least in the passing game, he's not giving up the ball. Now, why this is so important is it's really hard to attribute Cooper Rush as the reason why they're winning games. Um, I feel like it's a very... The reason why the Cowboys are winning, and I feel like if you've watched the games, you would know, is it's their defense and their running game. Now, the running game 
uh, it's behind two backs, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Now, Pollard had eight rushes for 86 yards and a touchdown. Ezekiel Elliott had 22 carries for 78 yards. So neither of them went over 100 yards, but they're uh, efficient in, in what they're asked to do. Tony Pollard is there to have explosive plays, but he's not as consistent as you can use him on every single down as like a workhorse kind of back like you would with like Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor or some of the other backs that are the primary back that have consistent runs after run after run, which is what Ezekiel Elliott was before. But he is kind of in that role now, although he isn't as productive as he was earlier in his career. He's still there to uh, play his role in that offense of rushing, getting first downs, progressing the offense, and just giving, uh, alleviating the the pressure of uh, off of Cooper Rush, and so he doesn't have to throw every single down. Now, uh, defensively is where the Cowboys really, really stood out. They were able to get five sacks this game, two from Parsons. Uh, Jordan Lewis was able to get one. Armstrong was able to get one. And Odigazua also got one as well. And they were able to uh, pick off the ball as well. Uh, Malik Hooker was able to get one. Um, and he was able to return it for three yards, which was uh, a big play for them. Um, they were also able to recover two fumbles. Demarcus Lawrence was able to return one for a touchdown. And Sam Williams was able to uh, pick up one as well. Um, they were able to defend, uh, although uh, their defense was really, really stout. It was their front seven that really, really uh, solidified their defense. I think that really needs to... I guess be attributed to uh, Micah Parsons and who he is as a player. He's just so ferocious as a rusher. He's just able to get to the quarterback. He's able to uh, have a variety of different moves that he's able to make with his quickness, his stutter, and his burst off of the line. And that really, really helps in uh, the secondary where they're able to, uh, they don't have to play perfectly every single down because they have the pass rush to give them time to uh, have the quarterback maybe second-guess a throw or take a second longer. And that really, really helps. Um, obviously, not only their their uh, the pass game, but also in the rush game as well on the ground. And although, you know, the Rams are not known to be a huge running team, obviously it does help to have uh, a linebacker like Parsons on your team. Now, the big question that we asked in the beginning of this episode was, who should be starting for Week 6, Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott? And as we've just analyzed, it's not Cooper Rush himself that is uh, willing them to wins. It's not him throwing 350, you know, five touchdowns, zero picks every single game. That is the reason why they're undefeated with him as a starting quarterback. But... Uh, I do think that is the scheme that they have set in place on their offense that trusts the defense on that end and is simplifying the game so that Cooper Rush doesn't have to throw for, you know, 300 yards, you know, four touchdowns, five touchdowns, whatever that may be. But they're able to rely on the run game, uh, you know, throughout the clock. They don't have to be scoring, you know, 30 plus, you know, 25 plus. They're, they can score, you know, to, you know, the, the low 20s to, you know, able they're with their defense able to hold teams to under 20 that is able to help them get more wins. And so in my personal opinion, I feel like you should just stick with a hot hand. Um, stick with uh, Rush, uh, even against the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe if you have a uh, an easier, you know, maybe a slate of uh, two, three opponents that are a little bit easier to play, maybe you bring Pat Prescott in. But I feel like that scheme that you have set in place for Rush, you know, maybe expand it a little bit more for Prescott, but to kind of ease him in. And so 
uh, keep the scheme that you have in place for Rush and apply that to Prescott as well. Once you have like a, a easier schedule in place, but really to have Rush and that defense uh, will will you guys to wins. And I feel like that's a great decision uh, to make, especially now where uh, that division is is really, really tough now with the Eagles being undefeated. Uh, they're 4-1. The Giants are also 4-1. So it's going to be a very, very tight um, division race. So now that we're done talking about the NFL, uh, we're going to be talking about my standing predictions for the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. And this is going to be really, really hard to predict them now before obviously i mean we've seen pre-season pre-season games but to really see them in action throughout the rest of the season it's a full 82 game season who knows what will happen injuries will happen i mean the portland trailblazers i don't think anyone saw them trading cj mccollum then dame getting injured and then them and then them getting a lottery pick it was just you know it's what i'm the point i'm trying to make is just like it's hard for people to be completely accurate in their predictions, but I mean, I feel like it's going to be a fun activity for us to do, and we can see at the end of the season how accurate or terrible these predictions were ahead of the season. Now, before we start, um, this is no—I'm not trying to bash any team. Hopefully, I can keep this as unbiased as possible. Um, but before before any further ado. Let's go and start with the Eastern Conference, which I, in my opinion, I think is the hardest uh, one to predict on how well they'll do throughout the season. But um, let's get to it. So let's start uh, at the very bottom. I feel like I feel like with the talks of trades that are coming up. I feel as if Indiana, the Indiana Pacers, will be at the bottom of uh, the Eastern Conference. And that's hard for me to say because I love Tyrese Halliburton. I feel like he's a great player. You have like uh, Bennett Matherin, who you guys just drafted. He looks pretty good in preseason. Um, but outside of those two, and I, I guess uh, Chris Duarte as well, although he's a little old, older, um, you guys don't really have a ton of guys uh, young guys that you can really, uh, I guess, look forward to as like superstar level guys. I'm not saying you now Ben Mathurin obviously we haven't even seen a full uh, NBA game from him, but like you don't, uh, it's it's hard. Like you guys don't have that guy, that dude that you can really just point to, and be like, this guy can will us to wins throughout the season. And I do feel like they will, or a trade will happen. Uh, with Miles Turner going somewhere and potentially Buddy Heald as well. So I feel like this team is looking just for draft picks and to rebuild uh, through the draft. The second team I have at number 14 is the Washington Wizards. And I know Bradley Beal is there. And he's signed for, I believe, five more years. And, you know, he's a, a phenomenal a phenomenal player. But I feel as if, if they start losing games early on that uh Bradley Beal will ask for a trade and he has a no trade clause so he can choose which team he wants to go to uh but i feel as if that that is uh in the back of his mind and if they start losing early on ahead of the trade deadline he'll ask for a trade request a trade and then get uh shipped off to a team and then i feel like the Washington Wizards will most likely ask for probably a younger player that they're interested in and then some draft capital as well. So I feel like the Washington Wizards are going to be a lower on the standings than, than I would initially, uh, I guess, place them on. The next team at 13, I feel like this team and the next team, I feel like you can interchange. And both of these teams, in fact, can jump up uh, even to like, Eight nine. That is uh, the Detroit Pistons at thirteen and the Orlando Magic at twelve. Now the reason why I say these guys are interchangeable, but both of them can jump up to eight or nine, is they're they're both really really young teams, uh, and they have rookies that they just drafted 
pretty high in the draft that have looked uh, pretty good uh, throughout preseason or, you know, the summer. And they have young guys on that team already that have had a couple seasons and could potentially make a jump uh, in this upcoming season. So I'm really, uh, although I can project and make bold predictions and hot takes on you know this team will be the seventh or the eighth or ninth seed i feel like this is kind of where they'll be in this general 10 to 13 range uh for both these teams and you know you have Jaden ivy and kate cunningham sadiq bay on the pistons and then paul lancaro franz wagner wendell carter jr on, on the magic and you guys just have a, a core of young dudes that uh, I guess are trying to find their way uh, as, as winners in this league who haven't really uh, had that taste of it at the NBA level. So I'm really, really looking forward to the season for these two teams, these young two teams. I feel like they're both going to be really, really fun to watch. Uh, but I have them slated here at 12 and 13. At 11, we have the New York Knicks. And the reason why I have them so low is they missed out on Donovan Mitchell in that trade. And although they are going to be looking for another superstar, I feel like this season isn't going to be where they're going to be making a huge, amazing splash to put them up into like the top six uh, contention. I can see them going maybe as high as seven, but beyond that, I don't think I can see them going any higher than that. Uh, I mean, you have a young player in R.J. Barrett, uh, Julius Randle is, a, I guess, taking a step back from what we've seen when he was an All NBA player, um, and so it's like you have guys, but it's not like you are in that upper echelon of a playoff team. But you're not like down here and being a lottery team, kind of in like a medi mediocre kind of uh, space, and so. Uh, that is why I have them sitting at 11. At number 10, I have the Toronto Raptors. And they're kind of in the same boat as New York in the sense that they are they have a good roster built. You have, you know, Fred Van Vliet, you have Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, you know, Pascal Siakam. You have, you know, good players on a good team. Defensively, you guys aren't going to have any problems, but you don't really have that dude that can create for himself, create for others at a you know superstar level that will really push you guys into that playoff kind of contention. That uh, you know, I'm sorry for that motorcycle. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but in that kind of top six, top playoff contending area. And so, although it does hurt me to put them this low, I do have them sitting at 10 uh, in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to wait for that motorcycle to pass. And so at number nine, I have the Charlotte Hornets. And this feels kind of low for me as well. Um, but a lot of these teams, I feel like, can go higher. But it's just the Eastern Conference is just super, super tight, like, it's not like separated with, you know, these top teams and these lower teams, although they are, but in the middle, it's very, very hard to, I feel like to really uh, flesh out. I feel like Charlotte, they can go as high as maybe seven, eight, but then they can go as low as 11, 12, depending on uh, how, uh, I guess how uh, much of a step the other guys around the mellow ball make. Because it's like outside of LaMelo, uh, you don't really have another dude uh, like at an all-star level, although Terry Rozier can, to create for themselves if LaMelo is having an off night. Um, but I definitely think that you can that LaMelo will have uh, a, an amazing season next year. But the biggest concern I have is their center position, their center rotation. They have a lot of young guys that are going to be stepping in into that role now. And so... Uh, we'll obviously, we'll see the chemistry that they'll have with uh, Ball. More importantly, how they'll be able to make an, a defensive impact on that team who have really longed for a center to kind of be established in a role 
you know, for a long period of time on that team. So although I have them at nine, I can see them going up higher to seven and once again as low as maybe 11, 12. Now going, moving on to our top eight teams, this team I have pretty low and it's mostly because just I'm kind of low on this team and it's the Chicago Bulls. And the reason why I have them this low, although, you know, I can see them going up high, as high as maybe four, uh, is I don't think that DeMar DeRozan will have the same kind of season that he had last year. Uh, I feel like Vucevic has just been taking progressive steps back from, you know, his all-star seasons in Orlando. And uh, with the injury announcement from Ball, I feel like defensively they will have struggles without having him on the, on the court. And we really saw how the team struggled without having Ball and Caruso on the court to uh, have them move around and, uh, you know, get turnovers, get steals, and and just make huge defensive impacts. And so um, I feel like it's going to be hard for me to see them really getting up into that top five seed area. But... um, it's just hard for me to just throw them out of playoff contention as well just because of the talent that we have or they have on that team. So that's why I have them kind of or right in the middle at eight. Now, before we get to the top six, we have at number seven, the Atlanta Hawks. And they just made a huge trade and picked up DeJounte Murray. And I feel like he is a just a, a maybe not a perfect fit, but a pretty good fit alongside Trey Young and the fact that what Trey Young has needed is a defender um, and a secondary playmaker which is exactly what DeJounte Murray is now the problem that I have is DeJounte Murray is not a spaced he's not a floor spacer and if you have Clint Capella if you have John Collins who although he can shoot the three is not a an elite shooter at that position it's going to be a little tighter a little bit more congested in that paint area, which is going to be harder for uh, your rim runners, your uh, your floaters, your layups to be able to finish inside is basically what I'm saying. If you have guys who can't shoot uh, the ball at an elite or at least uh, average, league average clip. And so, although I do see the Atlanta Hawks being, you know, uh, uh, competitive in games and you know, getting wins, I don't see them being better than the six teams above them in the postseason. And um, although regular season, you know, standings don't, aren't a direct translation to postseason success, um, I just want to, to kind of just put the Atlanta Hawks in this area where, although they're at seven, I can see them, you know, going up to four and then potentially maybe at the lowest go to nine, depending on the chemistry and how well Murray and Young play together. Moving into the top six, I have the Brooklyn Nets. And obviously we have Katie, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons on that team. But outside of those three guys, you really don't have anyone else. Now, although you know Ben Simmons is going to make a huge impact on this team defensively for sure, uh, offensively is where we're going to see how he fits alongside Katie, Kyrie, and then another center potentially as well. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see what kind of role will Simmons be placed in. Will he be a, a like a primary playmaker like he was in Philadelphia? Or will he be played in a, a more reduced role like, uh, let's say, like a Draymond Green would, where defensively he's... The, the the defensive anchor, the leader, but then offensively he's like running the break, uh, you know, dribble handoffs, pick and rolls, uh, and then you know dumping off uh, or or lobs for dunks inside. It's gonna be really really interesting to see, but I feel like early on they're gonna have some chemistry issues and they're gonna be kind of uh, tweaking the team and, and the rotations and how the offense is gonna be running. Uh, because obviously Katie and Kyrie have played together, but you know Ben Simmons is, you know, a different player that either of them have really played alongside with 
And so uh, I feel like early on it's going to be uh, a lot of adjustments. And so that's why I have them kind of lower than I kind of see them being. But if we see all of them being or playing at their best, I could see them going all the way up to number one. Uh, I would not be surprised at all. Uh, but I don't think that they'll be any lower than maybe eight. Uh, but that's why I just have them kind of sitting on the lower end just because of the concerns that I have chemistry-wise. But I can definitely see them going up all the way to one. At number five, we have the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, I have them at five, and it's kind of tough for me to say that, uh, you know, it's, you know, we have James Harden coming back for another season. Tyrese Max, I feel like, will make a, a, another step up. Joel Embiid is just coming off of an MVP-like season. You just picked up a guy in P.J. Tucker who will help you guys defensively. Uh, he was a great 3 and deep player. James Harden has already played with Tucker, so he'll have some chemistry already there. But I just feel as if the, the teams above them uh, are either just better all around or uh, I don't have injury concerns with them. Now, although we did see Embiid be relatively healthy this season, I just have concerns with Harden. Now, I don't think he's done, he's over with, he's washed, but I do have concerns with him being a all-star caliber player like we saw in Houston where he's able to run an offense. And like, let's say if Joel Embiid is having an off night, then James Harden is able to come in and really just step up and be that number one dude. Now, I'm not asking him to do that every single game, but that he will have the capability to do that when he's asked of it or when he's required to do so. Um, and that confidence there is just kind of in the middle. I'm just like, although I'm not, you know, set on saying that Harden is done, I'm not set on saying that he's going to bounce back either. And so because of those concerns, it's hard for me to say that they are going to be in that top four category, but I do have them sitting here at five, but I don't see them falling anywhere lower than six at all. Um, if they did make a run and they got the number one seed, that to be completely honest, that I would be surprised by that. But being realistic, I have probably have them in like the three to six range, but I have them sitting here at number five. At number four, I have the Miami Heat. And the reason why I have them. I guess you could say relatively high is knowing Miami culture and, you know, Jimmy Butler had a bunch of injuries. Bam Adebayo had a bunch of injuries and they were still able to get the number one seed. Um, I feel like that they're still going to be gunning for that number one seed position. And then they, they won't take any days off at all unless, you know, required to. But I just feel as if the teams above them are just better and, they just have made more, uh, I guess, jumps in what they have acquired this offseason. Miami really hasn't done that. And the only way that I can see them really making another run as a number one seed, which I don't think that they need to be doing, they should really be focusing on finishing in the postseason, having everyone healthy, is Kyle Lowry for them. I feel like Kyle Lowry... Uh, really needs to be able to, he doesn't need to play at an all-star level, but he needs to be playing at, at an impactful level where he's able to uh, make plays on the defensive end with taking charges, you know, getting timely steals, but then being a, kind of a game manager, a, a true point guard kind of, uh, on the offensive end where he's able to get players involved, whether it's, you know, Jimmy Butler and having him getting easier buckets, you know, Make you know doing dump offs or pick and rolls and, and lobs to Bam Adebayo or getting shooters open off of pin downs and uh, out of horn sets and stuff like that. But I do feel as if Miami can jump up to number one, but I don't see them any lower than six as well. Coming into the top three now, I uh, have the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis is still there. Middleton is coming off an injury, but he is. Obviously, going to be coming in, uh, in as the number two option. 
Drew Holiday is still there. You have a lot of your pieces that are from that championship team that are still in place, and they are no way out of contention to make another run. I feel like if Chris Middleton was healthy, they could have made another run to the NBA Finals last year. <clears throat> and I feel like a lot of people uh, reciprocate that feeling and that you know, opinion as well. And so the reason why I have them, <clears throat> I'm sorry about that, uh, have the Milwaukee Bucks this high at number three is just Giannis. Giannis is just a beast. I have him as the best player in the NBA. Uh, just defensively, offensively, he just it, it is an impactful player on both ends. Uh, it, you can't, there isn't really anyone that can just outright stop him. And if you do, it's going to be, uh, it's going to allow him to play make and get other players open, whether it's passing or, or um, you know, fading away. Now that we've seen him in the Eurobasket being more comfortable shooting the ball. So I feel as if during the regular season, Giannis is going to be another, he's going to have another beast of a season. Milton is going to be, although he's coming off an injury, I feel like he's going to be a little bit more healthy, obviously, but to have Giannis really push this team uh, into a higher seed. But I don't see them making the top seed. This is kind of the ceiling where I have them, but. <clears throat> depending on how impactful that injury on Middleton is and how consistent the rest of the roster is outside of Giannis, I can see them falling down as low as 7-6. So this is kind of where I have them at their very best at number three. Um, but obviously I can see them most likely being in that lower 4-6 to six range. Number two is kind of my biggest hot take, and that is Cleveland. Now, the reason why I have them so high is obviously they just picked up Donovan Mitchell in a trade, and I feel like he's going to be <clears throat> not a perfect fit alongside you know Darius Garland in that backcourt, but I feel like he's going to be an impactful addition for that team. And the reason why I love this signing for the Cavaliers is the biggest concern, I guess, that one would have for Donovan Mitchell is his perimeter defense. He could not stop anyone while he was at Utah, and Rudy Gobert kind of got a big, you know, chunk of the blame defensively because he was obviously people thought that he was the reason why they they were having defensive struggles in the postseason. While in fact, mostly it was the guys on the perimeter who couldn't really stop anyone from just blowing by, getting to the rim, or, you know, playing off a mid-range or making a shot on the outside. Now, on this team, you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen on the inside that can really, really, I guess, uh, make up for the defensive lacks that not only Mitchell has, but Garland has as well. And I feel like this young team is going to be gunning for a higher seed uh, in, you know, throughout the regular season. <clears throat> And so that's why I have them slated here at number two. I can see them going all the way up to number one, but I can also see them going as low as six. But I definitely see them making the playoffs. I feel like that's with the addition that they made with uh, with Donovan Mitchell. I feel like they're guaranteed to have um, a playoff spot, barring any, any injury that happens, any major injuries that happen throughout the season. And at number one, uh, is going to be, uh, although I haven't made my takes, I feel like as if this team is going to be most likely the team that is going to make a championship run, and that is the Boston Celtics. And I have them this high just because I feel like they have this mentality to make the playoffs and then to make a championship run. And the best way to do that is to have the most easiest path, and that is as the number one seed. And I, And so... Although they will ha have a new head coach, they have established a, a culture, a defensive scheme that is, has been in place. And that's the reason why I have them here at number one. Now, obviously, they have a new head coach. And so I can see them falling as low as number six. You know, and so it's just hard to say exactly where they're going to be. If Ime Udoku was still on this team, I would have no worry to have them fall outside of the top four. But, 
know, without Ime Udoka as their head coach, with a new head coach coming in, um, I feel like it's going to be hard, but they do have a ton of talent. Obviously, Jason Tatum is still there. Jalen Brown, the, the last season's defensive player of the year, and Marcus Smart is still there. You just picked up a guy in Malcolm Brogdon who will help facilitate. And then you have uh, uh, you know b- pieces off that bench that will help you as well, You know whether that's Al Horford or Robert Williams. Hopefully he gets healthier. Grant Williams, is, I f- it looks like he'll be coming off the bench as well. But I feel like this team is going to be set to make a huge run throughout the regular season. So to summarize, I have Boston at 1, Cleveland at 2, Milwaukee Bucks at 3, Miami Heat at 4, Philadelphia at 5, Brooklyn at 6, Atlanta at 7, Chicago Bulls at 8, the Charlotte Hornets at 9, the Toronto Raptors at 10, the New York Knicks at 11, the Orlando Magic at 12, the Detroit Pistons at 13, the Washington Wizards at 14, and the Indiana Pacers at 15. Okay, now, for our final topic of this episode, we will be talking about my picks for the Western Conference, and I feel as if this is a little easier. Just like we did with the East, we'll be starting at the bottom, and I feel like the bottom four teams are kind of already set. That is the Houston Rockets, Oklahoma City Thunder, Utah Jazz, and the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I'll kind of discuss these two there are these four teams in two different groups utah jazz and san antonio spurs i have at 14 and 15 and the reason why i have them at the very bottom is obviously utah just traded rudy gobert and uh donald mitchell and outside of those guys don't really have uh you know the kind of guys that can really uh, will you guys win at least at this stage in their career? And San Antonio is kind of in that same, uh, that same kind of space in the fact that you guys just traded Dejounte Murray, who was your best player, who was playmaking, playing amazing defense, and scoring at a at an elite level. And so now that you've lost those guys, I feel like there's just no, I guess, logical reason to put you guys any higher than like 14 or 15 at least in this stage in predictions then we have the houston rockets at 12 that is where i have them and then the oklahoma city at 13. now i can see the oklahoma city thunder falling all the way to like 14 and 15. And the reason i say that is although they draft chet holmgren who obviously after his injury we now know is going to be out for the entire season I feel like they could be, you know, they could potentially try to tank for Wembanyama potentially, and so although I have them at thirteen, I can definitely see them falling all the way to fifteen. But you know, with you know, I don't know, you know, the situation of how long Shea will want to stay or deal with all the losing, and then that potential trade coming up for more draft picks, and then obviously them potentially tanking for Wembanyama, I have them this low. And then the Houston Rockets are still just a young team. They're kind of in the same boat as the Magic and the Detroit Pistons. And I could obviously see them jumping up higher up, but it's just the Western Conference is a tough conference to really make a huge jump in. And they're still a young team, so uh, I just have them here at 12. Above them, I have the Sacramento Kings at 11. And I love Keegan Murray. I love uh, what he looked like uh, during summer league, but it's just this team really just doesn't have the firepower to really compete with the teams above them, in my personal opinion. And it's just you know you have De'Aaron Fox, and then I guess you could say Demontis Monas and then Keegan Murray, but outside of that, you guys really don't have anyone else. And so uh, I have the Sacramento Kings. Unfortunately, here at number 11. Now, I, just, I don't know if it's a hot take at this point, but I have the Los Angeles Lakers here at 10. I know Anthony Davis is coming back. You know, LeBron James is coming back for his 20th season. And Russell Westbrook is still there. You guys made you know, a move to get uh, Patrick Beverly, who I think is a great addition for this team. But it's just outside of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, 
I just don't really have anyone else. And I, although LeBron is still there, I think this team goes as AD goes. If AD is healthy, they could jump up all the way to like five, six. But if AD is injured and can't play another, you know, maybe like 60 games, you guys are going to be here at number 10. And so, yes, LeBron will still be there, but LeBron is not in his, that stage of his career where he can carry, you know, a bad team to like the four seed, the three seed. Uh, he, he's just too old at this point. He's year 20 now. And so I feel like a, a big story for the Lakers will be, um, unfortunately, not a championship run, but rather LeBron James winning the scoring title. And so that will be obviously amazing to watch, to witness history. But um, unfortunately, I feel like AD is going to get injured again. I'm not, you know, wanting that to happen. But seeing AD's injury history, I feel like he'll be missing at least some games um, throughout this season, which is the reason why I have them sitting here at 10. Coming in at number nine, I have the Portland Trailblazers. And obviously we have Damian Lillard who's coming back healthy. Uh, and they just made a move to get Jeremy Grant. But uh, outside of Dame, you guys really don't have anyone. And that's kind of a, a running theme for a lot of these teams on the lower end. You guys have a guy, but outside of him, you don't really have a lot of help. Now, Damian Lillard is an, you know, an amazing player. He can will any team to any you know to at least a win but he definitely needs a lot of help and uh there could be a potential for him to be moved whether it's him requesting a trade or the team deciding that they want to start fresh and and start a rebuild um but because of of the iffiness that that will have and that that's that question is in the air. I have them here in the middle at number nine, but depending on the moves that they make, maybe they trade for another star or uh, Damian Lillard gets traded and they trade other dudes. I feel like the Portland Trailblazers could jump up to six, but they could also drop down to like 12, 13. Now the biggest question mark uh, for me personally was where to put the New Orleans Pelicans. But I have them here at 8. And the reason why it was just so hard for me to decide where to put them was because Zion Williamson, who looks healthy, he looks motivated, he looks ready to play, he's going to be coming back. But it's him, how much of an impact can he make on this team in the win-loss column? Obviously, CJ McCollum is there. Brandon Ingram had an amazing season. Um, this team was just a very gritty uh, kind of uh, feisty team that was like, we're not going away. We're going to be in every single game. And they, they made the playoffs because of it. Um, I feel like Willie Green is an amazing coach. Uh, you guys have young guys like, you know, Jose Alvarado. Um, I'm blanking on their defender, uh, number five, their small forward defender. I forget his name. Um, Please comment what his name is. I'm blanking on his name. Um, hopefully you guys know who I'm talking about. But um, Herb Jones, that's his name. Herb, Herb Jones. Herb Jones, the def yeah, young defender uh, on that team. I feel like they're going to make an, a huge step up this season. And obviously with signing Williamson, Williamson coming back, they'll make a huge step as well. So, But I have them kind of projected on the lower end in my standings predictions. At least this run this time around. So I have them at eight, but I can see them going up as high as four, but then potentially as low as uh, this eight to ten range as well. Another team that I had big questions on was the Minnesota Timberwolves, and their roster is kind of set to make a really big splash in the regular season because with two huge. I guess I guess you could say centers, but they'll most likely be playing at the four and five, with you know Towns and Gobert. I feel like they're just a huge mismatch for any team. With Anthony Edwards, who I see as making a huge step up, and then uh, D'Lo, who is a serviceable point guard, and then 
Jaden McDaniels, who was an amazing defender, underrated defender. I feel like this team could make a huge run, potentially getting into that top four uh, in the regular season standings. But I have them here projected on the lower end just because of the concerns that I have, uh, you know, chemistry-wise just early on. How will Towns be playing uh, at that four position? Just how will he play offensively, defensively alongside Gobert? How will that fit? And all, all that just jazz chemistry-wise. But I feel like on paper, you could project them as high as two, even potentially one. But I don't think they're going to be any lower than eight. I feel like definitely they're going to be in a play-in spot for sure. Now, this was tough for me. I feel like this four to six range is is just tough. Uh, even, you know, three to six actually. But uh, in order, I have the Golden State Warriors at three, the Phoenix Suns at four, Dallas Mavericks at five, and then the Memphis Grizzlies at six. I feel like these four teams are completely interchangeable. And the reason why I have them in that specific order is, well, the Golden State Warriors are just coming off a championship. Uh, 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 Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole are going to be playing for contracts. And although Draymond Green had that incident with Jordan Poole, which we'll be talking about a little bit more after this, um, is just that I feel like they're just going to be gunning for uh, another uh, another great season. Uh, and so that's why I have them that high, but I can obviously, like I said, see them uh, lower on that spectrum as well. Now, uh, the Phoenix Suns is a concern that I have and just they have signed, obviously they signed um, uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton. So they're kind of stuck with the guys that they have now. And so I have them here sitting at four just because we've seen them uh, execute during the regular season. Obviously, they were the number one seed last year. But I feel as if that it's going to be a little bit tougher for them this season just because of all the upgrades that the rest of the league has made. Um and just the step ups that teams have uh, obviously made throughout, uh, you know, throughout the off season. And so I have them at four, but can see them jump up to, you know, that one two range, but also drop down to the seven eight range as well. And the Mavericks and the Memphis Grizzlies, I kind of have them in the same boat in the sense that Luca and Jaw. Will 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 these teams to win for sure, and the Memphis Grizzlies were a surprise team last year in the fact that they went all the way to the number two seed. But I feel like people will be a little bit more uh, aware of this team and and know that they're the real deal. I'm not saying that they were like slacking last season when they were playing them, but instead of being the hunted or the hunters, sorry. They they are now being the hunted, so that's a completely different kind of role. Uh, obviously, the Warriors can attest to that as well. And so, um, I definitely see both these teams doing really well, but with injury concerns, with you know, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and then we saw with Morant throughout last season as well. You know, I can see them obviously jumping up to that number one two seed. But also, I have them kind of projected on the lower end, at least on this one. Even the same with the Mavericks, where I can see them going up to the one-two seed, but have them on the lower uh, end here, at least on my standings predictions. And at number two, I have the Denver Nuggets, and the reason why I have them this high is Jokic just coming off of an MVP season where he kind of carried this team without Michael Porter Jr without Jamal Murray, and that with both of those guys coming back, I feel like this team, uh, especially those two guys, will be motivated to really uh, push this team into championship contention. I feel like in doing so, they'll bring themselves to a high seed 
and really, really, really aim for that number one two seed, which I think they're uh, uh, completely capable of doing. I love Jokic, and obviously him coming off of back-to-back MVP seasons, I feel like he'll make another uh, a great season. And then, uh, although I do have my concerns with Michael Porter Jr. and how he'll perform, uh, obviously we haven't really seen a ton from him, um, but I feel like uh, him and then Jamal Murray will have a little bit of struggles early on, obviously just adjusting to the speed of the game and coming off of injuries. But I feel like once they get into their groove, into their uh, their set, you know, mode, that they'll be able to push for that one to two seed. And this may be my hottest take yet, and that is the LA Clippers at number one. Now. This is a really, 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 really bold take. And the reason why I say that is, on paper, they're a really, really, really good team. And a lot of people are picking them to be the winners uh, for the chip uh, this upcoming season. You know, with Paul George, with Kawhi Leonard, and obviously now you bring in John Wall, who is like a tertiary playmaker that you guys have. It's just that the biggest concern for this team out of anything is can they still stay healthy? That is the biggest concern for this team. And in my opinion, like AD, I don't think that is going to be ha- that's going to happen. Whether it's a, a you know a serious injury or load managing or minor injuries, whatever the case may be, it's going to be hard for me to say with confidence that they're going to be healthy. But I feel as if this team kind of has to go all in and really, really aim for a championship this season you know uh who knows how healthy Kawhi will be uh Paul George is is playing really really well but he's you know uh if he's not already in his 30s he's will he's going to be close to his 30s and so this team is is on a timer and so I feel as if this season is kind of that season where they'll be gunning for that uh championship chip but the 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 concern that I obviously mentioned with the injuries is why I can see them dropping all the way down to like that eight to ten range, and there's a huge disparity on you know barring on injury. But I feel like if healthy, they can definitely make a run to be that number one seed, and so that's why I have them all the way at number one. So to summarize. I have the Clippers at number one, Denver Nuggets at two, the Golden State Warriors at three, the Phoenix Suns at four, Dallas Mavericks at five, the Memphis Grizzlies at six, Minnesota Timberwolves at seven, the New Orleans Pelicans at eight, the uh, Portland Trailblazers at nine, the Los Angeles Lakers at 10, the Sacramento Kings at 11, Houston Rockets at 12, the Oklahoma City Thunder at 13, the Utah Jazz at 14, and the San Antonio Spurs at 15. Finally, for our last topic of the episode, and that is going to be the Draymond Green Jordan Pool fiasco, I guess you could say. Where, uh, for those who aren't aware, there was an incident during practice where Draymond Green threw a punch uh, and had a physical altercation with his teammate Jordan Pool. Now, there have been a lot of statements that have been made, but uh, one that was made with Steve Kerr was this. He said, this is the biggest crisis that we've had since I've been the coach here. It's really serious stuff. We're not perfect, but we're going to lead. We're going to lean on the experience that we've have together and trust that this is the best decision for a team. We have a lot to work, a lot of work to do, all of us. So the reason why he's saying this is Queen has received an undisclosed fine from the organization but he won't be suspended ahead of the Dubs' regular season opener against the Los Angeles Lakers on a Tuesday. However, Draymond Green has come out with a statement saying that he is going to be taking a break uh, with, uh, you know, just to you know reflect and meditate on his actions, and he has come out with an apology as well. Now, it has come out that Poole has not, you know, physically is not injured, uh, you know, where he has to miss any games. But this is a huge blow to 
uh, you know, just the Warriors as a whole. Now, it obviously does beg the question on whether Draymond Green will be traded or not, but, you know, that's a discussion for another day. The reason why I want to bring this up is I just wanted to share my opinion. And a lot of people in media and, you know, whether it's on national television or whatever the case may be, um, is saying that this happens in locker rooms all the time and that, you know, this is just kind of the first, maybe not the first time, but uh, a time where it is being televised in the sense that we have seen actual footage and it's been actively reported uh, through the media and it's not really being, or it's not like uh, kept under wraps and within the organization. And the reason why people are saying that I quote unquote that it's okay, not in the sense that punching people and having physical altercations is is okay, but that when you're on in this this competitive kind of setting that you have you're you're competitive as a, a, a athlete. You butt heads, you trash talk, you sometimes get into physical altercations. However, in my personal opinion, this cannot be this kind of, uh, I guess, idea that being in this kind of, that this kind of competitiveness is okay. Yes, I do believe that when you're competitive, when you're uh, uh, um, passionate for the sport that you play, things like this can happen. However, uh, I feel as if where it comes to a point where you have a physical altercation with your teammates, I feel like that's where we have to cross the line. Not as not only as fans, but as organizations and as teams. Now, the reason why um, I feel like this isn't so this is so important to talk about is that this is the athletes. These these are athletes' jobs to play a sport that they are asked to play each and every single day, whether that's in practice, whether that's in a game, whether that's in OTAs, whether that's in you know the gym, whether that's on the court, whatever the court case may be, that is their job. That's how they provide for their family. That's how they earn money. And in the same sense, we as you know the general population have our own jobs as well whether that's you know you know part-time full-time intern on youtube in a physical place whatever the place may case may be we all have jobs as well now if one of us went to our own jobs and because we were passionate for our job we decided to come to a physical altercation with any other co-worker, there is no company, no situation where anyone would find that okay. Now, obviously, these kind of things are not, you know, a one-to-one comparison. We can't say just because it doesn't happen in the work field, this can't happen in sports as well. It's a completely different situation, but I think that some uh, uh, some ideas are transferable, and I think that this is one of them. Obviously, we have to take things from a case-to-case basis, especially when it's uh, a different, you know, from the work field to the sports world. But I do think that if you are teammates and you're working together to come to a common goal of winning, these kind of things are things that have to go punished, whether it's from the team, whether it's from the league, or from other players, in fact. Someone has to speak out. Someone has to step up and say that, yes, being competitive is important. You can trash talk. You can, you know, uh, butt heads. You can argue and uh, say that this is what we should do. This is No, this is what we should do. You know, that's not good. This is good. Whatever the case may be. But being a a, a fan of this game and a fan of the players that are in this league, 
luckily Jordan Poole was not majorly injured, you know, through this. But let's say he was. He loses out on a chance to play for his contract. Then he loses money. And he can't, you know, maybe he loses out on an all-star appearance. Or the team doesn't get another chance to make the postseason or, or another, you know, deep playoff run because of something like this. It, we're, we're extremely lucky that, you know, huge repercussions were not caused from this kind of altercation, which is why I think instead of waiting for those kind of things to happen and then decide to change it, I feel like it is better to be more cautious and then dialing that back to a point where we are able to say that everyone can be uh, 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 not only competitive but still be in a safe environment as well. And... I don't think that Draymond Green had any ill intent when it came to this kind of, you know, competitive spirit. But um, I definitely think that it is something to watch out for, not only for players, but for fans, leagues, and organizations as well. This brings us to the conclusion of this episode. I hope you have enjoyed if you've watched this far into the video or the podcast if you're listening on Google Podcasts or whatever the case may be. But I just want to thank you, appreciate you. If you guys are watching on YouTube, please click a like and subscribe, comment, share it. Uh, you know, I want to grow this channel to the point where I can do this completely full-time and just talk about sports on a daily basis. So if you guys can subscribe, watch it, share it, like the video, comment, that I would I'd greatly appreciate that. But I hope you guys have a great day. Uh, stay positive, stay motivated. Peace out.